Welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. And PJ, it's another it's another early one. Uh, I don't know what's I don't know what's uh, gotten into us. We're, we're we're very proactive at the moment. Yeah, it is. It's um. I struggled a bit more with this early one than the last time we did it for some reason. I wasn't quite there. My uh, my coffee wasn't ready. I had to feed my cats and they were being dicks about it. So <laughs> PJ's an absolute monster if he doesn't get his coffee before That before is true. That is a fact. I, I've had two cups already. I'm feeling pretty good, got to say. Um, I'm hoping that will give me... No, actually, no, I take it back, PJ. Uh, before I even say it, I hope that the episode we're about to record gives me the energy I need to face a day of shoveling dirt. Ooh. You see, lest, lest anybody who's listening think that we live in our ivory tower uh, and it's nothing but, you know, caviar and comics all day long, uh, we do have to come down to earth occasionally. And my my exciting highlight of the day is I'm moving a pile of dirt. And that's, yeah, that's it, basically. I am tidying things away in the new TV cabinet that my wife and I built yesterday, so... Oh, PJ, slow down. Honestly, I, I mean, it's, it's just a mile a minute round here, isn't it? <laughs> also, also um, this is going to be a the quickest movie review non-spoiler in the world. I saw Eternals last night, and I liked it a lot. I haven't seen that yet. PJ I, hasn't seen it. I, have, <laughs> I don't I, want. I have seen Dune, and I liked that a lot. So yes, you've got that over me, actually. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to seeing Dune. And I'm looking forward to seeing Eternals. There we go. That is John and PJ's movie show. <laughs> and they're, but, um, if there's a thematic thread between the two, I believe they're both relatively long. Yes. Yeah. Dune was pretty long. One of the funniest things I heard about Dune, actually, a friend of mine was telling me she was speaking to someone and they said, I liked it, but it was very beige in colour. I'm like, <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's set in a big desert. <laughs> what? It's, it's a little beige. It is a little beige. I'll, <laughs> give, I'll, I'll give them that. We were, um, uh, Nick and I, uh, sorry, listeners, you probably don't know who the hell Nick is. I mean, of course you know who Nick is. He's a, he's a global superstar. Uh, but, but Nick Angel, who uh, I work with at uh, Big Punch Studios, we were yesterday talking about um, the failed June adaptation by Jodorowsky. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Which had which, uh, Geiger doing the designs for it, didn't it? Yeah, and uh, and Mobius mm. doing some 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 character designs as well. And uh, we you know we were talking about it going like because um, Nick seen June as well and loved it. 
Uh, so clearly I'm the odd one out. And we were talking about how, you know, that project, had it ever gotten off the ground, would have been insanely colourful. Definitely would have been, wouldn't have been beige. No. Would have, would have, would have just been everything. I, I think the big problem is, is that it's a, like most ideas that never get realised, it's perfect and it's untouchable. And it's, it will always be perfect and untouchable because it never got made. And while it's fun to dream, like, I think it's very easy to be creative when you don't actually have to deliver on the thing at the end. Yeah, I've I've often wondered how that would have worked. Because have you seen any of other of Jodorowsky's other film output? No, other than I've heard people who I respect talk about them, and I've seen clips. Yeah, they are bonkers and make very Wild. little sense and i i don't really see how his dune would be much different so in my head if he had made it it would be a lot like the david lynch version which also made no sense but it would be more surreal and 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 look a lot different and as you say be a lot more colorful and, and vibrant probably uh, but yeah i think unless I think splitting that book in two, like uh, Villeneuve has done for this adaptation, is the right call. I, I think otherwise it is one of the unfilmable books. They've kept that quite quiet in the marketing, haven't they? That it's part one of two. Yeah, they did. It's a lot of people didn't even realise until it cropped up on the title card in the actual film. So, it, is is the sequel going to be called Detune? You know, are they going to put like the Roman numerals where the U should be? I hope not. <laughs> we we there was a trailer before Eternals last night for a new Roland Emmerich movie, of all things. Oh, he's still uh, going. To, well, yeah, to the point where you see the trailer, and it starts out kind of a little ominous, and you're like, "Oh, this looks interesting. I wonder what this is." And then it goes from director and writer Roland Emmerich, and you're like, "Oh wait," and then it's just like two minutes of just planetary destruction on a level rarely seen in cinema and you're just like is Roland Emmerich okay? Like do we need to check on him? Because I feel that like maybe like this is becoming an obsession now like why is it just his thing is buildings falling over uh, mountains turning upside down, planetary crust exploding like he has a style yeah. For better or worse. I think he's only done one film in like the last 10, 15 years that wasn't that. And that was the, the one where he leaned into the uh, conspiracy theory that Shakespeare didn't write his own plays. Oh, God, that was him, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was Emmerich. And then the planet blows up at the end. Yeah, probably. I haven't seen it. The, um, yeah, it was very, very, very weird. Because undoubtedly looked pretty. But then, you know, you're kind of looking at it on the screen going, I can't actually believe what I'm seeing here. More more the idea that I can't believe he's doing it again. Honestly, oh, for yeah. me, Emmerich peaked with Stargate. <laughs> it's been a long, slow decline after that. <laughs> it really has. It really has. Um, what was it? it was Independence Day after that, and I liked that. That was good fun. Then it was Godzilla. Eh, and then, uh, yeah. Uh, well, he's also done uh, Day After... Wasn't Day After Tomorrow here? Yes. Yeah. Which was evil global, evil global warming. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like super evil global warming. Yeah. Uh, and then he also did, did he do 2012? Yep. Which is where like the planet is literally kind of exploding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And now he's back. Oh, he did. And of course he did the second Independence Day. Oh, yeah. I forget that that exists. I haven't seen it yet. 
Are we running out of cool-sounding words that begin with an R to slap onto a sequel? Uh, let's see. We've had... What's a, that called? Like, Independence Day, like, resurgence? Res- resurgence, yeah. We've had Alien Resurrection, and we've had Apocalypse Matrix Now Reloaded. Redux. <laughs> we've had uh, Reloaded, Revolutions, Resurrections is coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I when I was writing appalling teenage superhero comics as a teenager, um, I think putting Reloaded or uh, Unleashed, that was a slight deviation on the theory, but yeah, Reloaded, Resurrection, <laughs> on the end of anything was just like the gnarliest thing I could think of as a 14-year-old. Yeah, definitely. The only other thing I can think of they could do is just to stick the word RoboCop on the end of other film titles, <laughs> but not actually have RoboCop in it. You know, Independence Day RoboCop. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, that would that would have made any Independence Day sequel slightly more appealing to me, if I'm honest. <laughs> the um, it is a shame you haven't seen the Eternals, and maybe when we next record an episode, we can have a discussion about it because um, RoboCop's in it. Yeah, Ro- well, oh, PJ, damn it. Sorry, I promise no spoilers. Yeah, Robocop <laughs> is in it. And um, some a, a couple of... Okay, I, I won't say any more than this, but just some wildly surprising cameos. Oh, okay. Which are like, what? They really, really kind of raise a few questions about where they could take it. So, yeah, again, I, 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 I enjoyed it. Ooh, well, I will look forward to seeing it and hopefully... As you say, next episode, we can get into it a bit. And, and, I, and I swear, lest anybody think that this isn't a DC podcast, because <laughs> um, we, we do talk about Marvel a lot, um, I have some thoughts that would tie the Eternals into JLA Ooh. and why there might be a relevant comparison there. But we'll save that for another issue. Episode. Interesting tantalizing listeners there making them come back for more i like it <coughs> well and also we 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 treated them very badly a couple of a couple of episodes ago where we skipped we we missed a fortnight so mm. you know we we we're, we're getting we're getting very manipulative in our approach we <laughs> we kind of make people want a thing and then we like a good dealer we kind of withhold it a bit cuz we're the real bad guys surprise everyone <laughs> <laughs> Like forty-four episodes in, we finally made it clear. <laughs> um, but PJ, now now we're both, uh, you know, um, you know, juiced to the eyeballs on on good good coffee. Um, what on earth are we talking about this episode? So today we are looking at our penultimate dive into DC One Million. We've almost finished it. But we have the issue I know for a fact John was looking forward to least in this whole thing. (laughs) It's Superman, the Man of Tomorrow, one million. But it's not even all of Superman, the Man of Tomorrow, one million. This collection cuts a number of pages. I think the story we're looking at comes in at 15 pages. Um, I do know Man of Tomorrow sometimes, because it was the, the quarterly book, so it would only come out every three months. And it was usually a bigger issue, so I don't know how long this story actually was or if there were backup stories to go along with it or what. But uh, yeah, that's what we're looking at today. Did a bit of research because we don't have a credits page. Ah, on, I've also done here. a little bit of research as well. So my research has told me two things. One, okay. this issue was written by Mark Schultz and uh, illustrated by Georges Ginti. 
I'm not mm. entirely sure that's how that's pronounced, but which surprised me because I'm going to be up front now. I'm not a fan of the art in this issue, but I really like his work. He did the art on Bishop the Last X-Man back in the late 90s, which I really liked. And he was also an artist, quite a regular artist on the Buffy the Vampire Slayer comics throughout the 2000s. Oh, wild. Yeah. yeah. So it, it genuinely surprised me that this was him. The other thing my research told me is we've got another of those like data dump pages, which I'm, I'm going, we're going to go through in a moment. It looks like that was actually in the comic. It looks like these are actually reprinted from comics. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I'm guessing where they appear in the trade, they are from the comic they precede, or maybe they're just totally random ones from other ones. I'm not 100% sure, but from what I can find, certainly the one we're looking at today is from Superman the Man of Tomorrow 1 Million. Oh, geez. I mean, now you've said it, PJ, that does kind of make a certain sense. Like, I I don't want to say that, like, um, the people assembling the trade paperbacks were... Or the original trade paperbacks were lazy, because, I mean, they certainly weren't. But I, I think a lot of these trade paperbacks were put out in a very kind of, like, um, perfunctory manner. Hmm. You know, like, we'll just get them out. Like, there wasn't a massive amount of... Um, thought given to interior layouts or adding like bonus content or anything like that so yeah i i guess the likelihood of uh, a design team coming up with a brand new kind of data dump page between issues is is actually relatively slim now i think about it yeah but it, it's just it's really you know for years and years i've thought they were just made for the for this trade i didn't i had no idea so you know if nothing else i have i've had my eyes opened in that way today yeah wait wake up sheeple <laughs> um well uh well pj you've you've covered it before on on air but um for the benefit of listener and de- the listeners and definitely not john who who has forgotten uh there were like um four ongoing superman titles at the time were there not yeah so at this point Superman effectively was weekly because you had uh, action comics, you had Superman, you had uh, Superman the Man of Steel, and I think the other one was at this point was Adventures of Superman. So they'd come out on a weekly rotation, but every so often, just through the quirks of of the calendar, you'd have... Because I, I think comics come out on a Wednesday in America. I believe that was the case back yes. then as well. So every so often, you'd get a fifth Wednesday. And they wouldn't have a Superman book, so they'd created Superman, the Man of Tomorrow, to be that fifth week Superman book that would happen. Oh, interesting! On so they could have their weekly Superman, and it would normally not carry on the story that was being told through the other books so much. It would it would be its own thing. It was used very effectively during crossovers like DC One Million. The one I really remember, I had the issue that tied into Day of Judgment, and tell an extra Superman story for the crossover. Um, But yeah, I think it was the same thing as the Unlimited books over at Marvel, so X-Men Unlimited and Spider-Man Unlimited, because they were also sort of on a weekly schedule but had that fifth week thing. So um, So, so yeah, so to to your knowledge at least, there wasn't a particular um, storytelling like ethos to The Man of Tomorrow, Like, like in a way that maybe like, oh, does one title focus on more super heroic stuff another is more sci-fi one's more thriller or anything like that i I believe it was just a bit more standalone i don't know if there was any particular 
idea behind the book or, or theme it had to try and fit. Uh, if anyone knows different, please do correct me. But that's that's my understanding of things. Cool. Oh, interesting, interesting. And yeah, um, it's, it, you know, I also did a little bit of research because I wanted to see like um, who who the creative team were behind this because they're not properly credited uh, in the trade. And um, yeah, I think I'll probably have some thoughts on that as we go through. But yeah, like yourself, I wasn't a massive fan of spoilers, everyone. Not a massive fan of the writing or penciling in this one. Um, but I did have to look up the writer Mark Schultz, who I have to say I wasn't really familiar with. The name rings a bell. Well, looking at his credits, it would seem that he has written an astonishing amount of Superman. Really? Okay. Yeah, like the Ma- Superman, the Man of Steel. He, well, I don't know, maybe a 30, 30 issue run on that, maybe. Okay. Did a bit of Tom Strong, a couple of tyings there. And and then like a few other kind of Superman weird crossovers and stuff, like Superman and Batman versus Alien and Predator. Oh, I read that one. Oh, there you go. That was fun, I think. Was that all right? Yeah, it wasn't groundbreaking or anything, but I think I enjoyed it. Interestingly, with the one million tie-in, his name is attached to a few different books. So he did Action Comics Volume 1, One Million. Ah, okay. Which, hang on, thanks to the handy-dandy database, which I'm looking at right now, uh, is is basically the tale of what happened to Superman in the future. Oh, so like the the challenge he goes through with the, like the rest of the JLA, how that goes wrong, like the end of yeah. the Green Lantern issue we, we read. Basically, yes. And the only other weird thing is he's also listed against... Um, an issue called the DC 1 million 80 page giant issue 1 million. Right. Okay. Um, now those 80 page giants, I've got a few of those. They were interesting, really interesting comics. Most of them were treated as anthologies. So you'd get, they were floppy like a normal comic, but they did have a spine as well. So it was like, Oh, where do I file this away in my system? But like I had the, uh, all three JLA 80-page giants and uh, Young Justice 80-page giant and a few others here and there. I can't remember exactly what. But I think the first couple of issues of them all were just like anthologies. Like the JLA, one of the ones I had was like just different team-ups of different members of the JLA. There was a really good Batman Green Arrow story in like JLA 80-page giant 2 set during the year one days where Green Arrow suspects Bruce Wayne might be Batman and Bruce has to put him off the scent and that was quite a nice fun story. But then JLA 80-page giant 3 tells one complete story broken up into chapters all drawn by different artists but with one writer yeah. throughout. So yeah, that, I, I really I liked the 80-page giants when DC were putting them out. Well, what's what's weird, PJ? And this might be uh, I might be you know digging a digging a, a weird hole here that we might have to explore further. Is uh, you're writing saying that this is an anthology? I think it's got like uh, maybe seven stories mm. in it, uh, written by a collection of people. So Mark Schultz, who uh, who's writing in this issue, I'm not a massive fan of, I have to say, wrote Tales of the Legion of Executive Familiars. <laughs> I mean, I love that title already. <laughs> which is the successor to the League of Super Pets. Mm. And what's wild, and I've I was just looking at like the ca- the the credits on this, and it's like. Okay, Mark Miller writes a story in it, which is wild. Wow. Uh, 
And also, Grant Morrison writes two stories in it. Oh, okay. Both in the in the DC One Million kind of continuity. Was this released during the event, or was it released afterwards? It came out in August 1999, as oh, it happens. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's a, a year later, nearly. Yeah. Jeez, wow, we're meant to be the authority on this, and this is taking me completely by surprise. We're, we're, we're the authority on the mainstream JLA series, not the DC One Million <laughs> crossover. <laughs> PJ, I think we're going to have to track this down and do it as a bonus, because... The two Grant Morrison stories, the synopsises, synop, synopses for which are uh, one featuring Atom, one million, so called The Divided Self. So the Atom struggles to save his galaxy from the encroachment of a new one. And another Grant Morrison story called Crisis One Million, the plot for which is as the Justice League attempts to broker a historic peace treaty with the Antimatter universe the Gorilla Galaxy threatens to collide with the solar system. <laughs> I'm in. I think we need to I think we need to track this down. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if the 80-page giants are on Comixology. I mean, I can find out really easily, couldn't I? But I'll look at that yeah. later. Okay, so we'll do that. We'll do that as some research and we'll 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 get back on that. Maybe we'll uh, we'll come back to that when we when we finish the main Morrison JLA series as a little bonus. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to make a note of that. Apparently, now I know they've done the DC One Million Omnibus, the massive collected edition. Yeah, uh, which we're not covering here. No. Uh, apparently, it's included in that. Okay, we would if if we covered the Omnibus, we would basically be covering DC One Million for several years. <laughs> that would have to be. It, frankly, it would have to be another pin uh, spin off podcast. Uh, but it's, it's a the podcast only way... I don't want to do. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, uh, well, PJ, focusing on the podcast uh, we need to do, um, should we have a look at this uh, kind of data dump, which uh, or the digiprint, which opens opens this issue? Let's go. And yeah, now we've we sort of worked out what these are and where they were placed. I guess it does make a kind of sense for people who were only collecting certain books for each issue to have something like this in the front, but. I am going to go out on a limb and say nobody only connect, collected Superman the Man of Tomorrow unless they were getting other Superman books as well. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, it's weird, isn't it? Because obviously the nature of these big crossovers is to try and inspire you to, if not collect everything, at least try a few new things. So maybe they were hoping these little kind of digi prints plot summaries would kind of lure you in um i have to say they're not the most compelling sales pitch no to go and try new issues no but uh, this one opens with to save past and future the jla rocketed to jupiter okay uh and by which we have to assume the justice league not the justice legion uh yeah so presumably that, i guess that's kind of happening off panel i suppose once yeah. again because we're still at that cliffhanger where Huntress has an idea for saving the Justice League in the future, but we're no closer to getting that resolved at the moment. Uh, that's tantalising me. It's really annoying. Anyway, we then get prevailing against insurmountable odds in a time where everyone has superpowers, the 20th century JLA finally regrouped to combat the threat of the malevolent stellar sun Solaris. But are their efforts too late? To so th an immediate thought that springs to mind... Mm-hmm. I have to believe that that is the first mention we've had in the pages of DC One Million, casually, 
that everyone in the future has superpowers. Yeah. Yeah, it is actually. I'm not saying I'm not saying that's a deal breaker in any way, but if that was a maybe that came up in some of the individual issues, but yeah, it's, it's in the main trade, that's literally the first we're hearing of it. It's just an odd little point. But it it also it's not really relevant to anything that we've read so far, so no. Anyhow, so to, to to thwart Solaris's plans to murder the prime Superman with the kryptonite fragment he unearthed on Mars. So everyone, uh, I guess PJ was ultimately right, and it was kryptonite. If, if there's uh, one lesson you need to take away from this podcast, it's that PJ is ultimately right. <laughs> <laughs> you are inevitable, PJ. Um, <laughs> the League now speaks to the Jovian headquarters of the Justice Legion A in order to return to their own era and reunite with their 850 third century counterparts trapped in the past okay i guess a question pj is given that as far as we're aware all the tyings because obviously we haven't seen anything really from the regular league in the pages of this trade paperback because no we've had a brief encounter with green lantern and wasn't there a page of them having a meeting in a previous issue in dc one million three i think Ooh, maybe. I think we're definitely going to see more of like a kind of meeting coming up. Yeah. I want to say. But the thing is, like, if all their individual adventures in the future were taking place in their own comics, so like Aquaman 1 million, mm. you know, uh, action comics 1 million, uh, something like that, where would you potentially see these events happening? Like, the League getting together in the future sounds like a pretty momentous kind of thing. And I'm like, but where would that have fallen if it isn't in the main DC 1 million miniseries? Yeah, and it was, or, or in JLA 1 million. I guess, you know, Superman and Batman both have four books each. There's space to fill there, so... <laughs> yeah, I suppose. They're just doing the heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, and I guess, uh, sorry, so, so the, the digiprint continues. Uh, meanwhile, the 20th century Superman journeys to learn the origins of Solaris's boundless hatred and enmity, I, I, hate, I hate that word, I can't pronounce it, <laughs> and enmity linking the tyrant's son and the Man of Steel's progeny in the Superman dynasty for millennia. Yeah, he says, in an 853rd century junkyard, Tesseract, home to humankind's centuries of waste and cast-offs, the Kryptonian hero heads towards a reunion with an old and beautiful friend, the last survivor of the fabulous robotic metal men. Do we need to know that she's beautiful? Hey, for all we know, they could be referring to lead. I wish they were referring to lead. That would that would improve this issue for me immeasurably. <laughs> Um, also, this is this is sorry. It, it, we're probably going to sound like we're nitpicking a lot this episode, but um, this is not a nitpick. This is just a genuine love and observation. I I've read a fair number of JLA comics from different creative teams where tesseracts are a plot point mm-hmm. or a minor plot point, and I think at some point, I have to assume in like the late nineties, there was like an issue of New Scientist kind of lying around the DC the DC editorial office. And I just love how Tesseract just became this cool sci-fi word gimmick thing that has just been used over and over and over again ever since. 
yeah, I like the idea of a Tesseract junkyard, but we're not really going to explore that here. Um, yeah, sorry, and everyone, that wasn't a nitpick. I like the word Tesseract. Marvel did it. Everyone does it. Everyone Tesseract does it. is great. Hypercubes. Um, but yeah, PJ, uh, so that's the digiprint over with. And based on what you were saying about pages potentially being cut, I guess as we turn the page, we're right into it. We're right into the story, in the trade paperback at least. Yeah, we're... we're... Like Superman even seems to be mid-sentence, but he's flying towards a cave in this junkyard with two other flying people and then four, like, Thanagarians, like Hawkman people. Hawksmen. Hawksmen's. Haw- <laughs> yes. Hawks peoples. And he's he's just, he's got those dot, dot, dots at the beginning of his speech bubble that imply he was saying something else on the previous page that we didn't get. And he's just saying, Platinum, she'll remember everything. <laughs> In the 833 centuries she's been in existence. But she'll respond to it from a 20th century perspective. Well, as I think as a little bit of uh, context, PJ, I believe um, in Action Comics 1 million, yet another, um, you know, uh, Superman comic set in the future, uh, it apparently ends with Hawkman or the Hawkmen saying to Superman, by the way, you should go see Platinum. Okay. Basically, so I think it's, it's probably a direct tie into that. But yeah, there was clearly like a a, a prologue or something which we're, we're not privy to here. Yeah, and so Superman arrives at this cave and Platinum's very happy to see him. She's very bored and she asks what adventures he's got planned. And this is where I'm going to make my first criticism of the art. Superman himself just feels slightly off here. He doesn't look right. And I think he he looks too young. He looks like Superboy. Mm. I think is the criticism I would level. As I say, I'm I'm a big fan of Genty's art in in other books, but not quite there yet for me on this one. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? There's a certain kind of um, I, I'm really trying to think of the best word here. I think something in like the facial expressions is maybe it reminds me of some of like the old 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 Superman comics. Um, but not enough to really be considered like a direct homage. Mm. Like it, it doesn't. Superman doesn't look overtly heroic or Superman-y. He kind of looks more like a regular guy, which which can be effective sometimes. But I, I, I don't think in this context it's lent into enough to actually be a thing. It's more just like an odd quirk of the artwork. Yeah, and this like these few panels as well. The dialogue feels a little clunky as well here. And Superman basically says to Platinum, I want an oral history of the tale of all the Supermen down the years and their relationship with Solaris. And Platinum says, that's all? Well, where should I begin? And Superman's like, whoa, slow down. And I'm like, why? Just (laughs) what is happening? I'm... We're one page in and I'm (laughs) I'm trying so hard. (laughs) <laughs> to not with every panel go <laughs> so the dialogue's a bit off in this panel because <laughs> <laughs> i i'm gonna try and save it up to the end because yeah I, i'm i'm very much with you pj i have some thoughts on the dialogue here or all the pacing or the tone it's very unusual yeah particularly when solaris is apparently are we not operating on a ticking clock here yeah yeah, it's fine. Like, We've got time for Platinum to tell us 833 centuries worth of story. Yeah, but but yeah. So let's everyone get comfortable. So so poor Solar, a uh, poor 
sorry, get my words wrong, Paul Solaris. Paul Platinum, who was once human, who is, has been alive 853 centuries and is now living in a cave on a junk planet and has apparently not had any company in a very long time. It's like, uh, oh, sure, yeah, uh, come into my cave and I'll give, I will literally just tell you a story about the history of your, of your family. Yeah, haven't seen you for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and you come here and it's all about you. Yeah, anyway, so poor Solaris, um, she's living in a cave <laughs> with, with open burning flames and, and pyres and the other metal men all in kind of um, pogs, seemingly inert. Um, which is fun. Yeah, and she she says, "Oh, this is going to be fun." And then two people, I have no idea who they are, but one's a bald man and one's a redheaded lady, going, "Oh, let's broadcast this through the headnet." So I have to assume that just because that weird kind of kitschy thing that writers sometimes lean into with Superman, where it doesn't matter where he goes, past, present, or future, there's always a bald man to hark back to Lex Luthor. Probably is and- a Luthor. It's probably a Luther, yeah. And if there's a red-headed woman, she's probably a descendant of Lana Lang. <laughs> Let's yeah. be honest. It's, it's a Luther and a Lang, only the twist is, this Luther is nice. Ooh. The the only fun little... Not, I'm not even sure if cameo is the word here, but one thing I, I've only just noticed, despite having reread this recently, is um, the metal men who are up in their um, uh, little pogs at the top there is uh, a metal man there, and it's killing me because I can't remember his name. But there was a brief point in continuity where Doc Magnus became a metal man. Oh, and, yes. Yeah, and he was a green metal man with a V on his chest. God, what what element was he? I cannot remember. I'm, I The metal men are, are characters I haven't read a lot of their appearances, if I'm being honest. So, yeah, I'm not sure. What I have done, I've just looked up who that bald man and that red-headed lady are. That was quick. Yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm really good at this. Uh, <laughs> so he is, his name is, is Luthor Luthor. <laughs> okay. She is not a Lang. And oh, we've yes. overlooked something here. Her name is Gerarda Olsen. Oh, well, there we go. Of course, if she was going to be an Olsen. The other red-headed person <laughs> in Superman's life. <laughs> um, okay, so um, one one little thing we've often seen is that, like, uh, in the data dumps that we've, we've had, it's, it's kind of played as though they're almost actually being shared with the population of the future. Yeah. Like, uh, we'll see more of it in the next issue, but you get this brief thing, Morrison idea, which is used, they've, they've used in a few stories, is this idea that, like, in the future, it will just be Facebook and Twitter times a million, and it will just be a constant stream of confusion um, and noise. But apparently they they no longer have the concept of storytelling because as this Olsen descendant is like, I'm going to link this up to the headnet, so the internet for your head, um, the entire world is basically stopping to watch and listen while Platinum tells this story. Yeah, which is quite... Sorry, I'm having a quick look to see if I can work <laughs> out who the um, the metal man with the V is now. And Should I... Should I, I could fill while yeah, you're Yeah, fill time, searching. fill time. Okay, so... Uh, it just um, comes under metal men on this. That's not useful. 
Um, I've got the DC Encyclopedia. It's within iShot, but I think for good audio, I won't reach over and grab it because I think that'll be, uh, that might be a bit much. If we haven't solved it by the end of the episode, PJ, I will grab the Encyclopedia. Gold, iron, okay, I'm lead, keep tin, mercury, platinum, copper, plus nameless and platinum man. That's all the members <laughs> that come up on the DC wiki for this. So I, I don't know. I can't figure that out. We we will I I will look that up at the end of the episode. That will be our so because I'm I'm sure people are screaming at the at, at their um their um iPhones right now. Other devices are available. <laughs> um, but no. So we uh, apparently a, a little caption pops up and says access Gerardoscope Omega for live broadcasts of performance of ancient ritual, otherwise known as audio storytelling, um, and platinum. Be- begins weaving her tale. She's a natural storyteller, as it would ha- as it happens. Yeah. So we basically now every page is is not so much panels as just a montage of images. Uh, this most... is where the artwork gets a little better. Yeah, yeah. I th- I feel like the layouts are a bit messy. If I'm being honest, um, like I feel like we we saw that. Double page spread in in Resurrection Man one million showing the battles through the ages between Resurrection Man and Vandal Savage, and that was a much more effective way of uh, doing a similar thing. Mm. And so th- after reading that, these ones feel a little messier to me, but we will persevere. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, at least at least PJ, we're we're not just standing in a cave, which I, I think <laughs> would have would have just pushed me over the deep end, if I'm honest. Um, but yeah, so um, so yeah, so we begin the 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 long and storied history of um, the life and times of Superman and Solaris throughout the centuries, um, and yeah, we ba- it basically opens by saying that Solaris was created in the first age of heroes, which we we know to be true in a way because we we saw Solaris being created in the previous issue. Hmm. And uh, and basically, uh, we're going to be skipping over a lot of the captions here because it's it's very wordy. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, Superman and his allies had lots of battles against Solaris in their time, and then apparently, at some point, uh, Superman Prime, so our Superman, uh, I don't know, he he outlived everyone he loved uh, because he's Superman, and so he just flew off into space really on his own, and uh, but. But he he left Earth Earth with a defender, a second Superman called Superman Secundus. Yeah, yeah, that's a silly I, name. Well, I I would say now, yeah. Stepping out of the issue for a second, everything we learned about how Morrison uh, plotted every mm. issue in the One Million Tie-In. And also, have, also bringing up the weird, weird thematic and story connections between DC One Million, which is regarded as an as, a, as an okay crossover event, and All Star Superman, which is widely regarded as one of the greatest superhero comics ever. Yeah, um, it is. It is wild to see the whole the whole thing of All Star Superman and the idea of creating a replacement a replacement Superman. And the iconic ending of that series, and and we're kind of seeing the prototype of it here. Like I have to imagine that the notes and 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 plot points here, while see are so oddly specific, because 
these are the notes that Morrison handed to the creative team. Yeah, that would make sense. So once again, I think this this probably means a lot to Morrison. And I think it maybe would have been better better handled under Morrison's hands, really. Because I, 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 to, give, to give the creative team some credit, they may have been saddled with a hell of a task just trying to yeah. tell this story. Yeah, I don't envy them at all. And I do have thoughts on that that I will get to at the end. Um, but yeah, we, we basically have Superman, Secundus and Solaris. They have several fights. And then... Superman's descendants, generation after generation, continue battling Solaris. We see the 25th century version of the Justice League, led by a Superman, battling Solaris, preventing him from boiling the sea and uh, extinguishing the apocalypse. Drove him into the boiling sea, extinguishing the apocalypse. Sorry, I wasn't reading properly. They dunked him in the ocean, basically. Yeah, basically. Uh, And then 400 years later, in the 29th century... um Solaris returned, having been exiled in deep space, at the forefront of a marauding army of sentient comets. I completely garbled the delivery on that, but yeah, I kind (laughs) of like the idea of a bunch of of baby comets following following a sun. That at least is is fun. Yes, yeah, but it seems to imply here that that Superman then that was around them just just killed all these sentient comets and uh, defeated Solaris once more. And as we turn the page, we see a ton of different uh, kind of supermen and women. Kind of like quite nice costume ideas in here, to be fair. Yeah, they are mixing it up a bit. Um, I like I like the Superman with the big puffy sleeves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the end, it's kind of like a kind of Renaissance Superman. That's quite uh, that's quite interesting. And we also see a Superman without pants. What? I mean, he he is clothed. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I should stress. Yeah, he's he's not Donald ducking it, but uh yeah, more like a kind of a kind of Snyder Snyder costume. Yeah. Uh yeah, and we basically we now now we're basically pointing out that it's like a it's a it's a family it's a, a family tree story. Like there are you know, there are lots of offspring of, of Superman down the line. Yeah, and that they get new powers, like the time when the Superman of the sixty seventh century married Gzintblitzk. The Queen of the Fifth Dimension. Ten alien sensory powers were conferred upon the sons and daughters of L. Uh, Superman and worked with other descendants. You see another Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and Flash. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, so I, I just have to say, and again, it is insane to me <laughs> that, like, uh, what, um, seven years later, Morrison would call back to that with an all-star Superman story, where a future Superman from a Superman squad... Who also has Mr. Mistelplick? How do you say it, PJ? Mr. Pitalook. Thank you. Yeah, that guy has some of you know has 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 some of his race in him as well, and basically says to our Superman says something like, "Oh, apologies, I forgot that like fourth dimensional vision didn't enter the bloodline until yeah. the sixty seventh century." It is insane to me that Morrison had a plot thread across these two books. <laughs> And we we also get mention then of other heroic lineages that haven't even happened yet. So the the weird and barely human singularities appeared, just like a green alien with big eyes and some fire coming out of its head. Yeah, I was never sure if that was meant to be like in some way a weird reference to Jean. Yeah, I'm not sure either because Jean appears as a member of the. 25th century JLA on, on a previous page, um, but then we don't see him again or, or any other Martians in any of the flashbacks here, so 
that there is a similarity that would make sense yeah i do i is it nice i guess the problem is it's like when you're telling these this sort of story and you're suggesting that like despite the fact that it's been 853 centuries you've always still got the same players like there's always a flash there's always a wonder woman there's always a superman i do it i do kind of like the idea that in the fact that they're telling this history just a random hero pops up at some point yeah and then becomes as important as the characters we love i think they would have to wouldn't they it's it, it would make no sense for it just to be the exact same big seven through every century and given the way that comics love to kind of um, eat themselves, I'm kind of amazed then that no other team has gone, ooh, 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 the singularity. I'm going to stick that in a story and, and spin it off. I think that's because it got buried here in Superman the Man of Tomorrow and, you know, the forgotten Superman book of the 90s, let's say. Are we the only people who've ever read this yes, issue? no one's ever read it, John. <laughs> We're bringing this to the people for the first time. Um, maybe we should go license for Singularity. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe no one's copyrighted it. Maybe Dis- maybe Disney, maybe DC don't know they have it. <laughs> I mean, worth a shot. Uh, but we also get another mention to uh, the Bizarro Plague, mm-hmm. which is a fun thing, which has popped up time and time again. Uh, everyone loves a nice fantasy virus that infects people rather than a real life one. Yeah, you've got a, a bizarro Green Lantern on the page there as well, and this was in the 250th millennium, so that's that's nice. Um, yeah, um, so basically, sorry everyone if we're being vague on the captions, but yeah, it's just not much to say. Like it's, um, It continues, uh, they're battling on through the 364th century, uh, where one of Solaris's plots kind of backfired, and gave uh, a new phase of heroes with quant- uh, quantum powers, uh, which is kind of not really relevant, but fun. Um, you, you basically get a gold energy Superman, but not energy in the same way as uh, the best Superman, Electric Blue Superman, more like a Human Torch Superman. Yeah, or or maybe like a, a Wonder Man Yeah, the Busick Perez run on Avengers. Yeah, or Wonder Superman. Um, Wonder Man? Yeah, pe- I don't know. What Wonder Man? Yeah, and then um, so, uh, Solaris unleashes uh, a cancer plague, which is fun and awful. Um, yeah, and then PJ, if you want to jump in and save me at any point, you're welcome. Yeah, um, that humanity rides and dies in helpless horror, so that's nice. And then when all else <laughs> has failed, it was up to a Superman, aided by the fourth singularity and gravity witch. To carry the battle to Solaris in his distant refuge. And basically, the Singularity and the Gravity Witch collapse whole spatial dimensions to create countless hordes of duplicate Superman. And the duplicates basically do a suicide run on Solaris, which then allows the true Superman of that era to fly into Solaris and reprogram it. But at the cost of his own life. And kind of echoing Crisis on Infinite Earths, we see the singularity, sorry, the fourth singularity, holding the lifeless body of Superman. Yeah. Uh, But that was the turning point, and that's how Solaris became the um, loving second son that we we all adore, really. 
Yeah, at first he starts out as just, just a tool that can be used by the protectors of the solar system. For millennia, he was incapable of independent action. But then uh, Solaris sort of gets their sentience back, becomes self-aware again, but decides, oh, I quite like being a hero, actually, and joins that era's Justice League, which is led by a Superman, and also includes Captain Marvel and Zauriel. Yay! The Justice Legion of the Atom. The JLA again. Because the A's always got to stand for something. It's got to stand for something. Yeah, and and yeah, and apparently, given that this has been such an incredibly long time, uh, Solaris may have spent just as long being a lovely, a lovely benevolent son as they did being an evil one. Um, oh yeah, but um, but apparently, Superman's still great in in whatever century. So we we just get a little reminder that. Um, Superman is the best and and, and and unbeatable, and that Solaris may have gotten jealous in a way. Yeah, it's a bit of reference to Solaris feeling they could never match up to the standard, and that unlike Superman, there was a part of Solaris that never seemed completely altruistic. Uh, uh yeah. Uh, there was a point in a bit where um. Uh, that everyone in the universe became kind of para, uh, paranoid, and uh, so Solaris formed the Pan Cosmic Justice Jihad, whose aggressive agenda included preemptive strikes against worlds considered potential threats to the system. Uh, and then we get a fun lineup of all the heroes of the day. So we have Doc Matter, the Seventh Singularity, the Void, Heaven and Hell, Starman. Uh, and uh, yeah, and rather than say Pan Cosmic Justice G had again, they were the PJJ. <laughs> hey, that's me hey with an extra J. <laughs> uh, so PJ, you finally got your cameo, uh, and uh, yeah, and and also the fun and completely meaningless uh, side point that Superman of the time joined for a bit and then left over policy issues <laughs> oh you're killing people no i can't condone that also can i just point out they've got the void on the team do you think that means they've also got the sentry i you know i do pj <laughs> you, you know there's no no other explanation um but pj um who's um who else have we uh are we just being introduced to well uh as the pjj's influence grows um more supergroups sort of form under its auspices, including the Legion of Executive Familiars. And then we get, this might be my favourite image from the whole issue, <laughs> Solaris's sun dogs, which are like two dragons, basically. Wormhole, which is a big caterpillar thing. Octus, the eighth dimensional cephalopod, who's <laughs> this massive purple octopus with a hat and some grey splodges on him, and I love him. And then Crypto. The super dog. Well, no, it's not crypto, PJ. Crypto zoom, nine. Sorry. Yes, zoom right in, and you, you're blinking. You miss it. Uh, yeah, tiny... I thought I thought that was an asterisk, and I couldn't see the uh, caption uh, box it was supposed to be connected up to, and I was missing something. So that's a nine. There we go. The, the smallest character ever printed in a comic. Uh, <laughs> there's the number nine. Uh, yeah, and then uh, moving on at lightning pace, uh, we are one day at the turn of the seven hundredth century. Literally from out of the blue. Well, the original Superman returns, and uh, he's um, he's gone all around the world, all around the universe. He's seen everything, and he's returned now after centuries 
just kind of haunted by it all. Basically, he's 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 got a, a thousand light year stare. Basically, yeah. he's also got a little bit of stubble, and his costume is a little bit torn. I'm going to say, you know, seven hundred centuries. One fight with Doomsday did more damage to his costume than this. <laughs> <laughs> Do you suppose he hasn't actually changed his costume? That's exactly what I assume. Wow. It's ripe. Again, I just want to bring up, like, weird Morrison themes that we see again and again and again. Um, there is, sadly, and I, I'm still sad about it, we never got the Grant Morrison Wildcats reboot. Uh because Morrison did one issue, and there's a pitch available online which you can read, which is really interesting, about their plans for the series, and then the whole thing was pulled, hmm. and it just never never went anywhere beyond that. It was Morrison writing and Jim Lee drawing, and it was kind of bringing in some of the stuff from Wildcats 3.0, which I, I love. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the idea of Majestic in that book, it was very much... Superman, anyway, uh, having gone backwards and forwards in time so many times that he was basically older than the entire universe and was now basically in this horrible, like, anti-Zen, nihilistic state where he'd, he'd literally seen everything and it had just kind of ruined him, which I think is... is This is an early prototype of that idea as well. I haven't read that. I might have to find that pitch. But yeah, it does seem... Like a maybe it's just an idea Morrison wanted to do more with with Superman and didn't have the opportunity, so tried to put it in there. Which yeah, totally get. Uh, but PJ, sorry, I, I know I you know I will talk about Wildcats uh, <laughs> any moment, but um, what's actually happening? Well, so the return of the Prime Superman basically signals the beginning of a system wide great spiritual revival. So everyone's going, it's Superman, he's great. And Superman's going, I'm not that great. I don't want to be worshipped as a hero. So he finds the current era, Superman, his distant relation, and forges a covenant. So he says, so long as his descendants remain loyal protectors of Earth, he will grant them powers far beyond any held by any metahuman ever. Powers he has gleaned from the very edge of time and space. And he basically goes and lives in the sun and manages to zap his powers to the other Supermen from within the sun, that way. Yeah, this is where we get the idea of the super sun in the future, where uh, Cal Kent, Superman 1 million, his powers are fading in the past because he only gets his uber-uber powers when he's near uh, the super sun. Basically, so, he go. needs a yellow sun with the original Superman living in it to get his power. But, you know, a, a fun point at least to explain why he is quite so overpowered, which hmm. is which is nice. Um. Uh, uh. Yeah, and then um, because the original Superman returned, uh, the world stopped looking to the PJJ for uh, for answers. And after the PJJ, which I, I just love saying now, was disbanded, <laughs> um, Solaris went on to form the Academy of Prescient Justice, which was basically a bunch. It was basically a Minority Report, like a bunch of um, psychics who could. Um, prevent future crimes by seeing the future. So they became known as the APJ. APJ? Uh, and they were generally ridiculed. Um, again, yeah. Really so, weird. Solaris just went went back to being a son. The House of Valor triumphed, and 
you know, Solaris was born of man and the House of L is the dominant force in the system. But then, uh-oh, Solaris himself appears to interrupt Platinum stories. And he's a chatty Cathy this time. He hasn't said much <laughs> at all the previous issues. But he's like, no, I don't want to listen to this anymore. This is stupid. And Superman goes, what? And then goes, Solaris. Yes. I'm and not going to comment on the dialogue until the end. I'm going to wait. <laughs> and some uh, Thanagarian man just goes, that's not Solaris. He's just communicating through a telepathically projected image. And Solaris goes, Platinum told lies. I was really nice to the system and you're all being mean to me. And then Superman's like, oh, he's jealous. This could be my one chance. And just points at him. There's no... Platinum was telling the truth, and you're a bully. (sighs) Yep. That's enough Um, to rile Solaris. (laughs) Yes, and then this supercomputer who's appearing as a floating head hologram says, Damn you! Damn you, Superman! And shakes an invisible fist. And says, Uh, once I've crushed you... one of those little spikes that's coming off the side of his head. I'll get you next time, Gadget. (laughs) And he says, Once I've crushed you and your lineage's historical revisionism, the stories that are told will be those that paint Solaris in his true light. Yeah. And then basically going, No, that's not true. You're scared of me. And Solaris is like, No, I don't scared of you. Oh, come on. Come on, then. Come and get me. Yeah. and, And then, like, I think Superman's like, I've... I've 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 won a victory here. Like I've got what I wanted out of Solaris. Um by goading Solaris into a fight. There is I reference guess. here to Solaris interfering with something that stops Superman and the JLA being able to get to him, but we oh. haven't had any any mention of that before. So it's just sort of come and suddenly gone. Like, Solaris says, my interference is lifted, and Superman then says, let's get to the nearest teleporter before he cools down and changes his mind. But, yeah, it's odd. But apparently this was Superman's plan all along, which was to get Platinum to tell a story which was so compelling that it would lure Solaris out. Um, And then Solaris... I keep calling her Solaris, it's bad. Platinum... Shapeshifts because uh, she's made of metal and fixes the circuitry in the teleporter. And um, yeah, Superman pops inside the teleporter and says he's off to Jupiter to round up the cavalry. Yeah, so they teleport him away, and then Platinum and the Hawkman dude are just stood there going, Oh, well, he's gone. And then what's the name? Olsen says, Hey, you're not going to believe it, but you've got fans, and look. They're all here as a bunch of people just fly down to the junkyard so Platinum can tell them more stories. And she's like, ah, well, let me tell you another one. Because the story of Kal-El and Lois Lane, right? That's not over yet either. The end. The end. Okay, so um, that's kind of the end of the issue, or at at least the end of the segment... We've 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 been privileged to kind of share today. Um, PJ, I'm, it's a bit of a stinker, really, isn't it? I'm going to say I still think the Batman chapter is worse. 
but I that's not good. Is, <laughs> I think this is my Batman chapter. <laughs> I, I, I think, like, as much as that annoyed you, I found it hard to get kind of angry about it. This one, I'm... No, I'm not angry. Ang- no, anger's the wrong... I'm very disappointed in this issue, really. It seems... <laughs> it just feels like a colossal waste of time. Yeah. And... Yeah. And I guess nobody forced me to read it. And if it had been back in the day, maybe I just wouldn't have bought this issue. However, because I'm painfully aware all the time of how labour-intensive and money expensive <laughs> um making comics is i this just seems like burning money on the page and for the service of what i'm i'm i i do not know so this one of my complaints throughout doing dc 1 million has been we're not we've not been shown enough of the solaris backstory we've just been told oh it's a bit threat but we don't really know why and then all of a sudden we get all of it in the clunkiest info dumpiest way they possibly could have done it and yeah all right it 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 says this is why solaris is a threat but at the same time it's i didn't want all of it at once like this and i know this is me now complaining about getting what i didn't have and kind of wanted before but the way they do it is yeah it's just so clunky it is very much like telling rather than showing and and in a weird way, while they're trying to show like why Solaris is, is hates Superman so much, it it really just shows Solaris is just being like petty, like more than anything. Like it, Solaris doesn't come across as like a super a super threat, really. Just just comes across as someone who's a bit jealous of Superman. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know. It's. It's just not a very effective way of telling this story. And I know you can always look back in hindsight and think of better ways of doing this. I've said before, I think DC 1 million itself would have worked better as one single 12-issue series. Mm. Having read this chapter of it, I think what... I still stand by that. 12-issue series telling the main story of DC 1 million, great. Put this background to Solaris in a prequel series, a six-part prequel series released weekly mm. with different writer and artist teams on each issue, but the whole thing sort of overseen by Morrison. And each issue tells the story of a different Superman battling Solaris through the ages. And then you can drop other bits of history in there as well through the dialogue or what have you. The first issue tells the final battle of of Prime Superman with Solaris and and Superman leaving the solar system. And then maybe the last one ends with the Superman of Justice Legion A battling Solaris and dovetails into the DC 1 million story that then continues in the following series. Basically, take a Spider-Verse look at it. (laughs) Yeah. With Spider-Verse, you had this crossover that ran through the main Spider-Man books, but it was preceded by the Edge of Spider-Verse mini that told stories of some of the different Spider-Men, some of whom you didn't even see in the Spider-Verse series, so... Yeah, or... Yeah, and I'd be... Oh, it's so... This is a really tough knot to unravel, because it's like... Going back to the idea that in a perfect world, we would never have read this issue. Hmm. You know, it's it's very irrelevant in a way, and I, I and I'm I can see why the team that was assen- assembling this trade paperback felt 
compelled to include it because on a on a surface level it is essential to the plot yeah however <laughs> i just can't believe that we've spent space in this book focusing on this utterly irrelevant story when we could have been seeing anything else or just nothing at all like maybe it would have been better to not have this story uh Oh, I don't know, PJ. Uh, it, it, again, as you say, it's like shoulda, woulda, coulda, like different universe sort of thing. But like, yeah, I would love to have seen a more focused core um, uh, one million series. And then the tie-ins can just be the tie-ins and they're just like fun additional flavor. Yeah, yeah. And especially with, if, when we've we've just read Resurrection Man one million, which easily is the strong point of of this graphic novel for me so far this trade collection to then go into that i'm just like that's poor at best i try if if we could just talk about the writing and the arting yeah yeah uh, but let's talk about the writing and the arting pj yeah um yeah. Ig- ignoring its place in 1 million ignoring its contribution or lack thereof to the continuity is this a good or enjoyable issue in itself not particularly and no i i i i would say a resounding no and i i don't want to just come down and say that the writing and art are bad because you know, maybe someone else loves this, and it's, it's a very subjective thing to say. I, I just, I ca- this this seems is so mediocre to me, and I, I I'm just kind of I I this is where I get di- disappointed, bordering on angry because I'm like I just can't believe that you would set the bar so low. You know, it, it seems like astonishingly unambitious storytelling for a thing which is meant to be like this is 800 years of history yeah um i don't even mean the plot i just mean like the the way the story structured the panel progression like it's so unexciting i wonder and i never want to see superman say what yeah solaris you know good god it's awful i do wonder if maybe mark schultz and uh george jean t were particularly busy that month working on other books and they just had to try and fit this in and it was sort of a rush job. That would make a lot of sense to me if that was the case. And and yeah, and as you said, maybe they got dealt a very rough hand by being given, say, like a, a potted history of 800 years. Yeah. By Morrison. And then, and I, and I, I scanned by the idea that this means a hell of a lot to Morrison and their kind of like personal yeah. Superman mythology. Because I think on the face of it, it's a brilliant idea to have an anti-sun. You know, if Superman is basically Apollo, he's the sun god. And to just have his nemesis be an evil sun, I think it's it's, it's, it's quite fitting. Yeah. I just... Um, I, I just... Oh, God. Yeah, I just... The dialogue is, is awful. Um, and I never... In, in the year 1998, when... Talk about big comics that have come out. In, in the field of superheroes alone, you've got, um, obviously, JLA by Morrison, which we, the whole point we're doing this podcast. Um, you've got, uh, you know, Busick and Perez doing maybe more of like a slightly throwbacky kind of Avengers, but it's also just like really solid. 
you know, maybe you've got things like um, the Authority, you know, which are taking comics in this big kind of like uh, aggressive adult kind of way. And while they're all different approaches, they're all they all feel like modern comics in a way, just for different ways you could do it. And yeah. this just feels so old fashioned. I'd be embarrassed to hold this issue up against, say, like JLA One by Morrison. Yeah, I know that's definitely. Ed- I know that's a bit edgy and janky, but still, it's embarrassing. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I just don't have a lot to say about this issue, to be honest, and I think that's a a big crime because. I've had a lot to say about everything we've looked at so far. <laughs> well, can I keep ranting then? Go. Go yeah, for your life. I, okay, well, um, let's let's look at All-Star Superman, um, which is kind of th- a bit of a throwback in its approach because it, it's Morrison kind of looking at, like, the kind of golden and silver age of Superman where he would have these kind of, like, campy, weird, one-and-done adventures. And and obviously, like, the Superman of All-Scar Superman is a very different beast to the Superman you might get in, um, I don't know, any contemporary comic. I mean, look at, like, the New 52, for crying out loud. You know, Superman is, you know, he's, he's you know, violent and, and, and dramatic. And, and say what you will about the New 52, they were trying to go big, action-y kind of comics. Hmm. And then you get All-Scar Superman, which, of, of course, is this kind of camp, kitsch kind of very emotional but kind of cutesy story where yeah oh willy won't he will lois lane guess his identity it's it's, um it's it's allowing itself to be silly and it just it's wild to me that like i'm thinking to myself why is it i'm okay with light-hearted japes in the pages of all-star superman where it's like um oh clark's trying to get to perry's office in time and he's tripping up and uh, oh he's not oh it's, it's just like an old sitcom whereas like here I have Superman wagging his finger at a holographic head of Solaris and going, <laughs> you're nothing more than a cheap bully. And I'm like, why is it that Wong's okay, but this isn't, if that makes sense? Yeah, completely. Completely. I, yeah. yeah, and I agree. I just, the dialogue doesn't sound like Superman. The drawing doesn't look like Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's just, I, I, I think holographic head popping out of nowhere to deliver villainous exposition or just drive the story, I think is one of the most tired cliches. And especially when the dialogue is so rote and old hat. It really is. I mean, for crying out loud, he's a living son. You know, does he he need to just, like, pop up as, like, as a... Uh, Dr. Claw kind of head and just go, <laughs> no, I'm I'm more heroic than you, Superman. See? And I'll show you. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a real clunker. Um, I'm not a fan. It's probably like the most negative I'm going to be in the entire series, if I'm honest. <laughs> PJ, I still is there think any, the, is uh, it... the Batman one is worse. I still stand by that, though. Is, is, is there, are there any positives we can wring out of it, PJ? Um, there were some nice Superman costumes, variants thereof, and we got that fun octopus guy. I liked him. Um, yeah, that's cool. Uh, we uh, There are weird thematic tyings to All-Star Superman, mm-hmm. and I guess maybe if Morrison didn't have the opportunity to kind of flex their ideas here, even if it was handed off to a different creative team, maybe... we 
All Scar Superman wouldn't have turned out the way it did. So I guess kind of thank you to this comic, <laughs> I, su- I suppose. And if I have one more positive to say about this comic, it's that uh, we've done it now. We don't have to do it again. <laughs> and we've only got one part of DC 1 million left. That is true. That is true. So, so yeah, so we can lay some we can lay a fair amount of blame at the trade paperback and how it was collected yeah definitely uh, and maybe also some blame on the hands of the editorial decisions that were like we're going to scatter the core plot across a lot of different issues and maybe also you're just never really going to see the core plot like it's always kind of inferred but we we are going into the final chapter now and the stage is kind of set for the ending, I suppose. Yeah, I think. I think yeah. so. Yeah, I think it already was without that. I, I honestly think we should. Story-wise, it makes more sense to go f- from Resurrection Man to the final chapter than from this to the final chapter. But you know, we've got to do it in the order they present it to us. Yeah, and once again, I would be fascinated to know, like, in the pages of which comic did we see the League coming together again? Yeah, after defeating their own individual challenges because it's an interesting idea to remove the league from the entire main story. Um, but it does kind of feel like we should have been having two plot lines running in tandem. Like, what are the future league doing, and what are the legion doing in the past? Like, I want to because I feel there should be like um, they should be echoing each other. There should be, you know, they should be some plot similarities, and then they converge at the end. Yeah. I agree. That's my two cents, anyway. I agree. I still stand by, you know, give me a 12-issue maxi-series with a six-issue prologue series, and I think DC 1 million could be a work of greatness. But uh, that's yeah. not what we got. So, But DC, if you ever want to hire PJ... To redo DC 1 million, I would never be so presumptuous. What I would say <laughs> is, DC, if you want to hire me to suggest to Grant Morrison that they could redo it in that <laughs> fashion... DC, if you'd like to pay... For PJ and I to travel to Glasgow and with a pitch. gift basket and to kind of grovel before the door of Morrison and say, would you consider taking another stab at it? Uh, we, we'd be willing to consider it. And, you know, I'll, I'll gladly write one of the uh, prologue issues, that six issue series I was talking about, Superman Battles Against Solaris. I'll write one of those. That's fine. Uh... I would quite happily write, um, come on, John, for the purpose of a joke, what's the more, most obscure character you can bring up from DC continuity? Uh, I would I would quite happily write Fade Away Man 1 million as a tie-in. That would be my contribution. I don't even know who that is. Well done. <laughs> I mean, you know everything, <laughs> No, uh, weirdly, I have a, um, uh, my parents, years and years and years ago, got it from a car boot sale, a weird hardback oversized DC annual, probably from like the 70s or 80s or something. Oh, okay. And I have no idea if this was released originally in the UK. I don't know where it is. I think it's still at my parents' house, if I'm honest. And it had a collection of weird little stories in it. Like it had... A story where Hal Jordan was replaced by an evil alien who took his form and Mm. his ring and then tried to kill Superman. And it had a story where 
which I think in hindsight may have been drawn by Neil Adams, which was Batman and Hawkman teaming up to defeat the Fadeaway Man, who okay. was a villain who whose cape was actually like a magic carpet or something from like back in the day. Oh, wow. And he could teleport with it. Okay. It was a real oddity. And also, <laughs> it was kind of... It was coloured in that weird kind of like Forkshone colour thing uh, that a lot of like British comics from the time had. And like... Um, there's, there's several pages in the annual where a few colours disappeared. So the scene in which Superman and like Green Lantern are fighting is like entirely red because I guess the ink didn't go down properly. <laughs> oh, I love those little misprints when they crop up. They're really fun. Well, it is fascinating to me that that's not ringing a bell for you, PJ. So maybe I do have some bizarre kind of artefact from time, from prehistory in in my uh, in my parents' house somewhere that I should go and track down. I mean, if that's the only issue that character has ever appeared in, then that's obscure. I, as I, yeah, I don't know that character. I haven't come across them before, so maybe that is their only appearance. Well, PJ, I'm going to say, if you can fill the air, airwaves for 10 seconds, I'm going to grab the DC Encyclopedia. I'm ah. going to get the name of that damn Metal Man. We're going to give you the Metal Man. It's probably one of the ones I already listed, but we just don't don't know which one, because on site he didn't look familiar. And I don't think you should be adding to the Metal Man. There's enough Metal Man. We don't need extra ah, Metal Man. Right, right, right. And um, I'm back. Oh, he's I'm back. back. I'm putting my headphones in. I can hear you again. <laughs> okay, so I've got my big DC hardback encyclopedia. So let's go for... Hello, listeners. This is fun, isn't it? You get to listen to John flicking through a book. I'm going for, let's say, D. So we'll go for Doc Magnus. Doc Magnus got... Ah, ha, 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 yes. Viridium. Oh, okay. Viridium, yes. He became a metal man briefly called Viridium. Ah, so presumably in the one million continuity, he did that again and then got stuck in that bubble. That I don't know. Is do, do we assume Platinum was keeping their dead bodies in there or they're inert or? Yeah, like there's a there's a real element of body horror around the Metal Man. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, Viridium. Yeah. So this book came out in I want to say the early two thousands. When was this? 2004. Yeah. So in 2004 continuity, at least, so kind of, what, six years after DC 1 million, he was he was Viridium. At there least. you go. That, that's as far as the encyclopedia goes. Um, there's some fun stuff with the Metal Men, and I think Morrison's hand is all over it in uh, 52. Yes. Yes, there was, wasn't there? It sounds like, because I know it was all co-written by like, you know, four different, it was what, Greg Rucker, Mark Wade, Grant Morrison, and I keep forgetting his name, PJ, the um, architect of the DC Cinematic Universe. Um, Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns, that's the one, yeah. And uh, so it's very hard to pinpoint which writer wrote which pages, but I think the weird, weird, weird ideas around the Metal Men in that have to be Morrison. That would make sense. That would make complete sense, yeah. There is yeah. a fun scene where Doc Magnus is eating, because he's being held prisoner by some evil evil scientists like you do, but he eats a ton of beans uh, over many weeks just so he can amass a, a lot of tin from the cans to uh, to make his metal men again. <laughs> 
I, I always liked the amalgam version, Magneto and the Metal Men. Oh, you see, I never read that one. I had like the other amalgam trade paperback. So I saw the, I saw, I knew that it existed. I just never got to see it in action. That was a fun issue, that one. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Should we do the Judgment League Avengers one shot? I mean, it is, isn't it drawn by Porter? Yeah. Yeah, written by Wade, drawn by Porter. Maybe we should. Maybe Maybe we we should. should. That could be, that could be a fun bonus, bonus episode. (laughs) Um, But PJ, sorry, it's, it's been a weird, it's been a weird episode, folks. Not a massive amount to say and... I got on my soapbox. Um, is there anything we haven't covered, PJ? Um, no. We've covered literally should, everything. Should we probably call it there? We don't want to bore the listeners, <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, but next next episode is going to be going to be a big one. I am looking forward to the next one. I feel like hopefully the conclusion of DC 1 million will be satisfying. Things are going to happen for sure. Um, well, I guess if we have nothing left to say, PJ, I, I guess I should uh, I should utter a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork. And to Elliot Red for composing and performing our wonderful theme tune, Justice. And if you're a fan of hearing PJ and I uh, ramble on, you can find us both on Twitter and the social medias. Our descriptions, uh, our details are in the description. And in the very rare event that we do miss another episode we are sorry about that um we'll be shouting about it on twitter so you you can find our, our groveling apologies there yes yes indeed you can so so pj if you if there is nothing else in the world you'd like to shout about is it is it time for one of your patented outros no i don't think it is 